Papa Jacob's going to have to prostitute himself again. Take those fists of fury of yours outside and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 113. My name is Jakob. And my name's Randy. And today we're continuing our uh, Brandon Lee Odyssey. Can't call it Rian Odyssey. It's a few movies, but you know, our trip down memory lane. Uh, the Remembrance Month of One Brandon Lee continues today with Rapid Fire. But before we do that, traditionally, Patreon plug is on, is in order. So just a reminder that on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash uncutgemspod, you can go and listen to our bonus podcasts, one of which it ties into this series, which is the bonus tie-in where we talked about Game of Death, um, Bruce Lee's last movie. Or is it? Um, <laughs> also, our Soderbergh tie-in. To um to the Soderbergh project, which is Aaron Brockovich, and uh and then next month, so not well, next week on Wednesday, last Wednesday of the month will be a de- will be the day when a child will be waiting for you. A child is waiting. The uh, John Cassavetes installment is gonna make landfall. So that's on Patreon. Um, by the way, I should probably say this because um it. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I have to say this, you know, because like we we're recording this on the seventeenth of March, and just like a few few hours before we started recording, I got this nasty email. Call it a nasty email. It's not. It's a nasty email from Zencaster because we're recording through Zencaster, and Zencaster just sent us an email saying like, "Hi, we're we're changing the way we're offering free stuff for people, and you're no longer allowed to use." Uh, free program the way you want so like so you can't have unlimited recording capacity so you have to pay up so what i'm trying to say is su- support us by joining our patreon because that way you'll be <laughs> you'll, you'll be sponsoring at least in part um uh the uh the zencaster fees so i uh, just you know so i don't have to uh go out and prostitute myself okay <laughs> Do what you need. Do what you need to do, because I, I don't like it. <laughs> One bit. <laughs> um, yeah. So thanks to all the patrons who are already on this, because you're on the case. You're making it happen. So like, we need a few more, and then this is all gonna be the best. <laughs> um, so that's just what I wanted to say. I needed to get it off my chest. There you go. Feel better. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a tiny little bit. <laughs> hopefully, no, I don't know. Anyway, hopefully this will this will turn up. I don't know. I I think our last last week's episode on Shodan when Little Tokyo has been doing has been doing a little bit better numbers. Um, I think thanks to our wonderful go uh almost ghosts guests, <laughs> uh Jackson and Brandon who came over to uh, talk about Shodan Little Tokyo and and Brandon Lee and Dolph. So I think that I think their combined cloud has has helped us a little bit. So you know, like if you if you're here because of these guys, welcome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope thank you, you enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you for thank you for <laughs> sticking with us, and thank you for actually sticking for more than one episode. So you know, there's that. 
Uh, hope we don't disappoint on our own. <laughs> Which is why we're here. To disappoint. To disappoint everyone. <laughs> we can we can do it, man. We can do it. Because let's be honest, like I have to level with, with with y'all, you know, like whoever is listening. Like this is a small operation, like you know, this whole Zencaster thing. It was kind of like I I guess this will be the sort of like a min- miniaturized equivalent of just getting just hit in the, in the nuts by the government who's just overnight raising taxes. <laughs> It's like, oh, or like that last time last year when someone decided, you know, you know, you know the gas prices that you, you, you used to, that you, you were used to before? That's no longer the case. Four times as much as what you're going to be paying. How about that? <sighs> anyway, so patreon.com slash uncut gems pod is where you want to go to support us and make sure that we can pay for our Zencaster um, and for our website. And then in exchange, you will get now, I think it's 45 or 46 podcasts available to listen. And there's going to be more. So there's that. But you have to stomach and listen to our voices. So that it's a, you know, it's nothing's a trade-off. Perfect. It's yeah. a trade-off. <laughs> However, I will say that as a result of the, uh, the sort of the Zencaster become, like we us having to turn professional on Zencaster and then just go using uh, the uh, professional fee. Uh, so for some reason, they gave us a soundboard. Oh, wow. So I can do it live now. Tell him I'm fucking coming. <laughs> See? <laughs> there will be more. Like this is just the beginning, okay? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole new show, a whole new production value effective this episode. Episode so, 113 is a turning point in the show. So, you know, uh just saying that this is cuz I'm having loads of fun with this. And I've discovered it 15 minutes ago. So just strap yourselves in. Anyway, <laughs> um, I lost my notes again because I'm a dingus. There I am. Okay, there we are. So Patreon has been plugged. Oh, by the way, thank massive shout out to our Twitter follower slash listener who um, also recommended the documentary about Brandon Lee. Um, so there's that. And, you know, let's just talk about rap- rapid fire. How about that? Keep the picture. Serrano must have taken this awful personal. I'll bet he hasn't pulled the trigger himself in 15 years. That's right. And you, my friend, were there to see it. You are a prize witness. Look, all I wanted to do was clear myself. If I'm not under arrest, then I'm going home. You'll be so, under 24-hour FBI protection. Weekend in Chicago, first class air, hotel. Class no air. way! You'll cooperate or I'll bury your ass in charges you can't even spell. What charges? How about assault and battery, obstruction of justice, manslaughter? What judge is gonna buy that? My judge. Think it over, Jake. You wanna make the right decision here. That's blackmail. Law enforcement. Uh, so, Rapid Fire was directed by Dwight H. Little and stars Brandon Lee, Powers Booth, Nick Mancuso, and a few other people in a story about a Chinese American student, Jake Lowe, who finds himself marked for death when he accidentally witnesses a brutal murder. Uh, so he, it's kind of sort of, and he goes on the run from the mob boss who looks like John Cassavetes, <laughs> but that's Nick Mancuso. Um, 
And then he finds himself in the middle of a war between rival drug lords or some kind of a vendetta going on in there. And the grizzled police detective is also involved. His name's Ryan. That's Powers Booth. And he offers to help Jake if he in turn helps him to bring down the heroin smuggling operation that apparently that he's been going after for a decade. So, or something like that. So that's a synopsis for you. So after Showdown in Little Tokyo, almost immediately Brandon's next project kind of came about. Um, and that's thanks to a guy called Robert Lawrence, who was a Fox producer, who was a producer at Fox. And he saw him in Legacy of Rage, of all things. And then he thought he had an action hero on his hands. So he decided, okay, we need to put this guy in a movie with an above-the-title sort of billing. Um, so they put together a production over at Fox, and then together with Jeff Imada, who was a... Uh, stunt coordinator i think already on showdown so so jeff imada is kind of always kind of involved in this and joe and, and danny nosanto is kind of involved in this as well these two guys these are stunt coordinators who are also disciples of bruce lee mm-hmm. like who trained in his in his martial art of jute Kundo, right so they convinced so jeff imada convinced brandon to take a look on this and then and then meanwhile at fox Fox had has been retaining the services of one Dwight H. Little, who had come to Fox to make Marked for Death, which is why I used Marked for Death in my synopsis, <laughs> because I'm because I'm clever like that. Okay, woo, you know. Well <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. <laughs> so so that's that so that happened, and then because Dwight H. Little. Ha- wanted to work with Steven Seagal, when, but he was working at at the time at Warner Brothers, and then these uh, and then Warner Brothers didn't want to work with Dwight H. Little because apparently they didn't ha- want to have anything to do with a guy who directed Halloween Four. So they went to Fox and made Mark f- and made Marked for Death immediately before jumping onto Rapid Fire. So that happened, and also by the way. F- as as Rapid Fire was being developed without Dwight H. Little, they were trying to court John Woo to direct it, mm-hmm. but John Woo said no. <clears throat> so they got Dwight and H. Little to direct this movie instead. And then fun little story, I don't know if you remember from episode number, I can't remember, when we talked about Broken Arrow, Dwight H. Little is a guy who passed on Broken Arrow and then that went to John Woo because Dwight H. Little then decided that directing Free Willy 2 was a better career move than this, <laughs> than Broken Arrow. So, just, you do you, Dwight. <sighs> so, so there's that. And then again, like Brandon Lee really kind of enjoyed the idea of making that movie, especially when he had a, had almost exclusive access to the screenwriter. So they kind of developed the story a little bit together. And, and then he kind of liked the sort of the father-son angle, as in the sort of the remembrance of the father, sort of disconnection between the father and the son, Jay Close father in the film um can appeal to him i think we're gonna get to it to it in a little bit more detail because like half of my talking points are kind of relate related to the legacy of this movie kind of sort of um so so they did that and then for this role like he put on some muscle and then he kind of just started incorporate decided to incorporate a little bit more martial arts in the film uh, and these mar- and then so the Jeet Kune Do is kind of just making an appearance in there, probably also thanks to Jeff Imada who keeps just whispering into the guy's ear, just you should totally do more of this, right? Um, so the Fox marketed the film 
by referring to Brandon Lee as the action hero of the 90s. No joke, right? Which Brandon Lee also kind of just found like this was this was kind of such a nice touch for him because I don't know, he kind of felt like he was kind of getting places. So the, the movie made 4 million opening and then 40 million in total. So I think it didn't make much, but I think it didn't cost much either. So I think it was more or less okay. It wasn't critically well received. I think that's a, that would be a generous statement on my behalf. Because like Gene Sisko called it like completely totally useless or something like that. He did like Brandon Lee in it, but he didn't he just he called it a disaster. So people didn't like it. Uh and then what was the what's the guy at the New York Times also had problems of like oh this they're just exploiting Bruce Lee's death and just like ridiculous sort of takes that these people had like it's it's although like a guy in la times he said this movie this movie is better than enter the dragon if you've seen enter the dragon you kind of don't know how to take this comment because it's equally true but it also doesn't really say much about the quality of the film because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of films are better than enter the dragon <laughs> yes sir <laughs> so so there's that. And again, just like Showdown, just like The Crow later on that we're going to be talking in a week's time, just like Laser Mission even, it kind of just became a cult classic immediately after Brandon Lee's passing and just revived itself on VHS and kind of remains a cult classic to this day. So, Randy, what is your take on Rapid Fire? What is your story? I saw this on VHS uh, as it was released shortly after it was released before the um, before Brandon Lee passed away, as I recall. So um, I feel like I was on the ground floor of this. I really, really liked it at the time. I thought it was, you know, just a really fun action movie. And rewatching it this week, I still really, really like this film. I think it's just solid action. It's dirty. It's rough. It's furled around the edges, uh, you know, but it's it's solid action. Um, I also feel, and especially as we're going through Brandon Lee's uh, filmography, at least as a leading man, um, this is Brandon Lee sort of coming into his own in a way. He's uh, he's a leading man in a Hollywood production, um, and you know I I see more confidence in his performance here. He pulls off the melodrama, um, you know, nicely in a way that he that I would say is better than his previous efforts. Like unlike showdown and little Tokyo, like that was a, a buddy cop and a comedy and a Lundgren vehicle. Rapid fire is all about Brandon Lee and the action scenes here. Most of them cook. There's a, there's a Jackie Chan flavor in here. There's a Hong Kong gun foo flavor at times. And it just, it feels just like a complete solid action film the villains and plot are basic um but they're good i would actually say the a couple of the villains here are quite good um dwight little he's a journeyman director i, I do re- recall his name popping up all over the place in in the 90s and you know free willy 2 being one of those uh spots um were you a fan he, or no 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 judgment he was, too, no <clears throat> he was one of those names that he always seemed to have a film that was being released in uh during the summer schedule you know wh- whatever it was like he just he had a run and i think in the last 20 years he's mostly worked on tv but i think he's just a competent journeyman he's probably just one of those guys he doesn't necessarily have too much of a voice as a director he doesn't have a lot to say but 
he delivers the script on time and around budget and everyone tends to be happy. I think he's just, he's one of those company men and uh, you know, I've got no issues with someone framing their career that way. So, you know, good on him. And here, I think he handles the story, the exposition and the action all well enough. Um, So yeah, like this, this is a good film. Um, In the context of talking about Brandon Lee and his career this month, going through these films in the manner that we are, his career to me is taking on a bit of the form of a coming of age story, like all these little films being little episodes. And I see him slowly over the course of these films maturing into a star. And that path may already have been sort of clear just given who he was, but you know, it starts rough with straight to video stuff and you know, we know it's going to go to the crow, but here I think that, this is him coming into his own. I think he's really good. And there's an element here. And you, you mentioned Raymond he's got a... fucking coming! He's <laughs> coming into his own, sorry. <laughs> I... Oh, God. I'll have to stay away from this word. <laughs> it's going to be hard. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, God. It's like a child with a new toy. <laughs> I, look, I paid for it. I'm going to play with it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I don't begrudge that. Go for it. Um, yeah. Look, there's, there's a piece in here just to finish up before I don't know. I, I don't know what clip is coming next from you. But anyway, to wrap up on I Brandon don't have Lee. Many, you know, like it's, it's next week. Give me, give me time. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, on Brandon Lee. It's interesting. You mentioned that he's got this connection with the screenwriter and he's he's working almost at a, I don't want to say as a producer level, but he's he's helping develop this uh, this project in a way as the star and he's working closely with the director. I find it fascinating that um, this story about the father, it's baked in here um, because something that I've been alluding to just in the other films we've talked about is that Brandon Lee seems to be struggling. Maybe that's not the right word. But he's certainly aware that his his father casts this immense shadow and there's this huge legacy. And I think that these films, we see Brandley trying to figure out what's his legacy. How can he be his own man and uh, not necessarily, you know, take something because the opportunity's there for him because of who his father was. Like, I think he's trying to find his own place. Like, he's leaning towards being an 80s star in some of these other films that we just talked about as opposed to being a 1970s martial arts star like he's trying to forge his own way here i find this interesting and here i think he 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 lands it i think it's great you know so the father issues stuff in the script i think it's good it's fast it's entertaining it's it's 90 minutes of fun it's not shakespeare uh but this is good action i really like nick mancuso and chi ma in here too i think that you know they're stock mob boss villains but i think they're each really good here too so there's there's a lot of uh fun to be had in here and i had it awesome over to, over to you <laughs> just i'm gonna i'm gonna take it easy on the soundboard today because i i, I really need to kind of load it with a bit more to uh to be able to kind of just use it to its fullest extent but you know if you don't like soundboard effects, you're shit out of luck, okay? Because <laughs> this, is, this is happening. This is a new era. Episode num- wonder, number 113 is the, so the turning point of the show. Yeah, I, that's right, babe. It's where we jump the shark. This is where... <laughs> well, so be it, okay? <laughs> uh, All right, what'd you think of this? 
what I think about rapid rapid fire. I've never seen this before, by the way. I've just realized I watched it and I was listening to myself. I don't think I have seen this. I thought I had, but I don't think I have. So it was so I count it as a first time watch. And I'll tell you and and I'll tell you something. It's a it's an I kind of agree in the in that it's a solid action thriller that just cooks on all cylinders really sort of well paced until it's not like it's there is this there's a moment in the film when this sort of energy just goes through the floor and just just about barely recovers for the ending there's this moment where it's just I mean, we're going to talk about it, but there's a moment in the film where, where you just think there, it's almost, there's almost like a false ending where everything kind of just comes together. Everything's good. But you know what? We have to do this one more thing and there's, we have to just gear up for like a one final set piece and then we just, okay, well, then we're doing it, right? So there's this just, it's just weirdly written in. I don't understand, but this is kind of my big sort of pet peeve with the film. Um, but overall, I will say, <clears throat> I mean... It, in terms of like, oh, how it's directed, how we'd like to talk about filmmakers having a voice. Not sure you can you can see much of a voice in here, uh, apart from maybe this is kind of how Hong Kong cinemas permeated Hollywood in the 80s to a point where essentially I think it just informed a certain sort of niche of the B action movie made in Hollywood mm. that you could almost like if you squint, you could kind of convince yourself that it was directed by Ringo Lam. Or by someone who really likes Ringo Lam, (laughs) 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 something like that. Like it's just very, you know. It's like I don't even know how to dress it in words. It's kind of like a very oddly, you know, very uh, not consistently, but conventionally. That's the word I want to use. They're very conventionally put together film that looks like nothing like an like a Hollywood A list movie, right? Like you know, it's not a Hong Kong movie, but you also know it. You, you know it doesn't really belong on the same shelf with like Predator or Die Hard mm-hmm. or Lethal Weapon. Doesn't have the same like panache about it. It's kind of rough around the edges. It's a, a little bit dirty, a little bit grimy, and not not necessarily in thematic terms. It's just in terms of execution. It just looks like it's just you know one take is good enough. Let's move on. Sort of uh, sort of filmmaking school. But it kind of works, and in and it works predominantly because people who are a- actually asked to do these things, maybe on one or two takes, kind of know what they're doing. And one of these people is Brandon Lee, who you know, like, who's now developed the signature spring from the floor, the kick he's, up, the kick up. Yeah, that's what he's yeah. doing. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so it's kind of like his signature move now, right? And then he does a few kicks that kind of just make you look like that's a Jackie Chan move, is it not? And then to, and then you kind of read up on it and it's like, yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> um, so I kind of like it in that respect, but I, I have to I have to admit, that it is kind of disposable. Yeah. Like yep. like you know, again, like you said, it's not Shakespeare, so so it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's exactly what I would you expect from a movie titled Rapid Fire. If you took it off the shelf in your VHS rental <clears throat> store, it's kind of what it is, and you'd probably be surprised that it stars someone, someone like Bruce Lee's son, and not Michael Dudikoff or, you know, Steven Seagal. Actually, in a way, like you, it kind of feels like it, it's 
Like it could just have Steven Seagal in it and you probably wouldn't even think twice. Like in terms of how it's put together, probably Steven Seagal wouldn't be able to do half the stunts because his upper body musculature is nowhere near cool enough. He looks like he like he, he has a dad bod <laughs> just at age 33, right? Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my thoughts about like rapid fire in just in general terms. I kind of feel like it's it's solid until it's not, and then it's kind of just put together like a B movie slash a Hong Kong movie, but not really quite. So how is this movie? Now? Well, I know it's it's a cult classic. So here's a question: What? How is it a cult classic? Other than because Brandon Lee's no longer with us, or is there is this just the sole reason why this is a cult classic? I guess my thought would be the sole reason that this is a cult classic is um, because of, you know, Brandon Lee's career being cut short with his untimely death in 93. I think that's largely it. I I think that if uh, Brandon Lee had lived on, this would have been remembered as, you know, fine, decent, it is what it is type of film. But I I think that there's uh, extra credit and polish that sort of, put on this just as we look at this film in the rearview mirror and say, yeah, you know, this was pretty good. Like, and I look at this from the perspective of this is Brandon Lee coming into his own. This is him. Uh, you know, he's anchoring the film. Like he's the lead. He doesn't have Lundgren and you know, this is a Hollywood production and this, it feels it. Um, and this here is a good look at maybe the potential that he could have had in, you know, his next four five, six films, which inevitably would, have leaned towards the action genre. I think we're getting a good glimpse at what he could have become. It's also a film that's rooted in its time very much because, um, and we've talked about this about other films, around the beginning of the 90s, um, action films were looking for a way to uh, differentiate themselves in at the box office. And uh, this film doesn't really do that. This film does feel like it's straight off the video store shelf to a point. So you're right. Like when, when you say that this, this could have been a, a B movie actor and maybe gone straight to video possibly. Yeah. Could have um, it, it feels like that. So it's, it, it's, I think we see Brandon Lee arrive here Um but that's that's why it's special, I think, in in my mind, is that that's mm-hmm. where we get that fir- first glimpse. If he had lived, this would be a forgotten film, although mm-hmm. probably remem- remembered, you know, decent enough if anyone checked it out. But it would probably have been forgotten. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't want this to kind of come off re- really badly, but say th- this is I mean, I like that kind of movie making, by the way, just uh, just to put it in perspective. Especially nowadays, like if if you if you make a modern movie like this and put it in cinemas, I'll go and watch it, because we don't see movies like this made mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. This is kind of like when people think about oh nostalgia sequels and legacy filmmaking, whatever, just pandering to nostalgia with you new know, like the ding the bell in Top Gun Maverick. I don't I don't want this anymore. Like I'm done with this. Like I've I've had enough. Like I'm, I'm over stuff on the screen frosting. Thank you. What I what I yearn for is is this sort of disposable action thriller. So today, a movie called Rapid Fire about a guy just... Essentially, I can uh, call it a, a, an archetypal sort of wrong man narrative. Like, this is essentially North by Northwest or um, 
like The Wrong Man or 39 Steps. This is Alfred Hitchcock's sort of narrative of a guy just caught at a wrong time, a wrong place, yeah, and then just in, involved in this massive intrigue between like warring countries or whatever, drug lords, right? If you put Jared Butler in it or Liam Neeson in it now, this could actually, mm-hmm. it, and put it in cinema, no one would care about it but me, right? <laughs> just, 100% like, This agree. is dad, dad cinema, that's what it is. <laughs> That's just kind of what it is. But then for, for me, this is this kind of panders to the kind of movie that I grew up watching, as in like I would probably take off a movie off the show like this when I was younger, probably against my own better judgment, and then pos- possibly I shouldn't really have been able to do that because this would have been probably rated 15 and I was 12. So, um, so there's that. Um, but and this is the kind of movie that doesn't get made anymore. And... I think you're spot on on this, that in the early 90s, this was the kind of movie that was already, not necessarily wasn't being made anymore, but it was kind of out of vogue, mm-hmm. kind of. It was kind, it was the kind of movie that you exactly just would would make almost by inertia, right? Like, this is your marked mm-hmm. for deaths. This is you know, ironically made by the same dude, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is the sort of the the B-roll of Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal movies would, would kind of be right on the same shelf yep. to me. So how is this movie a springboard to Brandon Lee's successful career? Because he, he saw this as a springboard to his, to his career. He saw this, this is my, this is my shot. Like we, we could do this. Well, I could have a career and a meteoric rise on the back of it. And he kind of did. Right. Um, how yeah. how how is this possible? Where's the magic factor in this movie that kind of allows you to see that there's something about it? Is there something about this film in particular, or is this some is this just um, a vehicle to to showcase the, the Brandon Lee that could that could be? If you know what I mean, I don't know if I'm articulating myself well enough, but this is where I'm going to leave it. <laughs> yeah, I I think. I think that this film, um, this film, I think Brandon Lee with this and, and with how he does in this and even just the whole project, because this project existed even before Showdown in Little Tokyo and Lee was attached mm-hmm. to it. So there's this idea that um, Br- Brandon Lee was sort of on the the cusp possibly of being one of these brand name stars and you know, can he do it? How do we sell him? How much does he want to be in the the spot? Like these are sort of the questions I think that are in the late '80s and uh, before Rapid Fire that 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 might exist in in Hollywood. Like, does he even want this? Like, he's pushing away the whole idea of you know doing uh, martial arts. Um, but I think here when he does this film and it's his film, like he's not sharing it with Lundgren. Um, you know, it's got a Hollywood budget. I don't know if we know the budget here, but my guess would be it'd be 10 million or less. Um, it's modest. This project, you know, the producers and the studio probably feel this is not going to be a big hit because these films are petering out. But Brandon Lee could be a Van Damme. Brandon Lee could be a Steven mm-hmm. Seagal. He can be a brand name star. Um, and this is the type of film that might get him might get him noticed because he does have that uh, he does have brand appeal if for no other reason other than the connection to Bruce Lee. Like it's it's there. Like and I think that there there were a lot of studios that were saying that this this is a 
blue chip possible actor right here, you know, if we can get the right vehicle. And um, what's interesting in a way, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a week, um, is the crow. It's it's as if, okay, now Brandon Lee has arrived. He has he has anchored his first action film. And by all by all accounts, you know, these films aren't necessarily ripe for the picking in the world of good reviews. Um, this this film's gonna take its hits. But I think mm-hmm. it does have its has it does have its uh it does have its fans, you know, it makes a little bit of money at the box office. It does really well on video, from what I understand. Um so he sort of lands, he sort of thing. I knew who Brandon Lee was. I saw this uh, on VHS. I was fully aware of in 1992 of The Crow going into production. Oh, this is weird. What's this going to be? This is based on a comic and this is Brandon Lee. Um, so that, uh, I, I think that um, Brandon Lee at this point in his career, he he has some sort of savvy where he knows what he wants. And I think for him, yes, I've, this is the point. Yes, I did it. This this is successful. This is this is my film, and this is sort of a hit in its own right because it doesn't mm-hmm. suck and it has a market and it's released in the states. And then from here, what can I do next? I don't know how he he lands in the crow, but it's it's like he understands what the '90s are going to be, or it's just a fluke. But I think he there's probably a sense that his next level is going to be the 90s type of action film which is going to be action with a gimmick or you know batman has has made superheroes sort of an interesting type of uh you know concept so that's what the crow is it's it's almost if brandon lee in terms of managing his own career he here has proven he can do an action film and he's setting himself up for going with whatever direction the the industry is going um, which is away from rapid fires. Yeah. I mean, one interesting wrinkle that you touched on is this is, uh, well, especially in Brandon Lee's progression as well, is the introduction of the mar- like embracing of the martial arts angle to it, mm-hmm. right? I kind of feel like this is, because we've, we've talked about this for like two episodes in a row now, uh, how I think, the sort of the trajectory for him was to almost initially just shun this a little bit and say like, no, I don't want to do this because I will get pigeonholed. I will. And he, what he wanted desperately to do was to act. Uh, that was his dream was to be yeah. an actor. Right. Right. So, and so he almost artificially pushed it away and said like, I don't want this, to, this to be part of my identity. This is something that's, I, I want to step outside of my step, step out of my dad's shadow and uh, I want to make it my own way. Mm-hmm. And he kind of realizes, I think, as time progresses, that either he can't really make it happen or he gets talked into things. or mes- may- And maybe th- that's kind of how I saw it in, in Shodan or Tokyo, maybe that he just got talked into this. Like, well, you know, he, he kind of... It, it makes sense to just add a little bit of a flair, even though it's mostly gun-fu kind of film, right? And in here, it kind of looks like it's naturally being embraced by him like it's a very naturally sort of martial arts film right so in a way i could say that well that the allure of the movie as a springboard for brandon lee is this is a showcase for him to to see for for the whole world to see what he's made of and then what he what what i think he's made of he's the sort of the missing link between the 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 muscle man of the 80s and the everyman of the 90s because like yeah. we talked about this with Brandon and Jackson, like the uh, like 
I think you know if 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 he had lived, you could possibly imagine that he would take the roles of. Imagine any character played by Keanu Reeves, right? He you you could easily see him taking it on. Maybe not Point Break because I think they were doing it at the same time, but you know, you could see him in Speed. You could see him in Chain Reaction. You could see him as Neo yeah. in The Matrix, right? Yeah, easily, right? You could see him as John Wick. Yeah. Totally. At yep. 50, Ag- right? Agreed. Yeah. Totally, right? Especially if you if you factor in the the fact that Don Dan Innocento, the uh, Jeet Kune Do sort of uh black belt trained personally by Bruce Lee, sort of the uh, the torchbearer of Bruce Lee's sort of martial arts arts legacy, trained Chad Stahelski, who trained Keanu Reeves yeah. to do what he needs to do for John Wick. Just saying. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so the connection, like it almost feels like Brandon Lee is the missing link f- between these two. And so it also feels like he's the, because he's like what defined action, action man of the eighties is the athleticism, right? Right. Like you think like Dolph mm-hmm. Lundgren's not an actor. He's a, he's an athlete first and foremost. He's a black belt in something. He's yeah. built like a, like a brick shit house, right? Yeah. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, he's a he's an athlete. Arnold Schwarzenegger is an is an athlete. Chuck Norris, he's an athlete. They all they're all athletes, right? Yeah. And and on this too, like the there are these other guys that were sort of popping up. Um Brian Bosworth, I think his name was in the movie Stone Cold, uh football mm-hmm. player. You know, there's yes. there's other Howie Long. <laughs> Howie Long, we talked about Howie Long. Yeah, like wrestlers. Like all yeah. all, all yeah, they this was the gimmick, right? Hire a, yep. hire hire an athlete and mm-hmm. teach them how to express themselves in a, some kind of a semi-professional way. So you know, like get a guy with a thick Austrian accent and just try to ex- extract a good line out of him, right? Eventually, yep. he will get it, right? And then at the late late end of the eighties comes the sort of the the reversal like you have to like the buddy cop kind of comes into play the hong kong kind of come comes in with its influences from 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 john Woo and others and then die hard lands and then you see okay well and every man can be an action man right like you can you can you can have a guy in problems with a with a dirty wife beater and without shoes and he's and making funny quips and he's and he's gonna make back you can have mel gibson with problems right uh, there's the guy right there yeah, there's the guy right there that, and and we talked about that last week, um, is that it's it's the Mel Gibson uh, style that I think Brandon Lee is emulating in Showdown mm-hmm. Little Tokyo. Um, but just in what I was reading this week, I I came across that Brandon Lee sort of looked at um, Johnny Depp and Mel Gibson as the types of guys who he admired because they had acting mm-hmm. chops. And yes. we know, like, the guy grew up. He was busting boards, I think his grandmother said. He was busting boards at, like, age four or five. Like, he was always immersed in... I have exaggerated, but, you know. Who knows, right? But but still, but he was immersed in martial arts from the time he was basically just after being a toddler. Um, what he seemed, from anything that I've come across, he seemed interested in acting. And that's what he was always trying to do, because he had, was it? Uh, was it film school or theater school that he was in in New York? It, it's it was the acting piece that he was always trying to perfect in himself. Um, 
which is, you know, probably why in Legacy of Rage, he stays away from the martial arts. Like we don't really get a sense of, you know, what a what an ass kicking machine he is in that. You know, he's just a good solid, you know, action star in a way. But he's 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 going after the, you know, the the gunfire and machine guns in, you know, those straight to video films. Um so it's it's the acting thing. And the Mel Gibson, I think it, it makes total sense. So now that he mm-hmm. lands this as an action star, this is a notch in his belt. I think now he's looking at what can I do now as an actor? And yeah. he's got that sensibility in him my thinking is he's got that sensibility where it's a while before Van Damme does and Seagal never does, you know, like it's not for another 10 or 10 or 12 years before Van Damme, you know, is able to is self-referential and, you know, sort of understands the the business. Um, but Brandon Lee's he's already, okay, well now what, after rapid fire, what can I do? How can I be part of, you know, what's going on in Hollywood sort of at a, 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 B list or A list level, like he's he's trying to position himself, and it's his next choice, The Crow. That's what's business wise, just in terms of his career. There's so much savvy that's sort of baked into that 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 mm-hmm. really interests me. Um, but I think he has to stick this landing in order to sort of make it happen because he's he's got to you know show that he can anchor this film and release it, and it's it's probably. And it's received as a little bit more than, uh, you know, a straight-to-video uh, production. It's got a little bit bigger budget. I'd say this, the studio has has no real faith in it because it released it, if I'm not mistaken, Fox released it in August. August. So it's one of those... Late August. Late, late August. So it's one of those dead zones. Um, mm-hmm. So... So at any rate, but, but you know, he's he's just sort of growing in, in his career. It, it, it all makes sense, um, to, yeah. you know, to me. I'm just I'm just scratching my head because um you know what he's like like look guys like Schwarzenegger got into acting because someone noticed how big they were or just like some like these athletes they were just brought in there because they had the chops they they knew how to do the action they just had to be taught how to act right and this mm-hmm. guy doesn't really look like it. Like you see him in the beginning of the film, not in the beginning, is you see it as a weird sort of <laughs> drug drug sort of confrontation with um what's his face? The uh the sort of the, the Thai guy, the general, what's his name? Jesus Tima. Oh. Uh yeah. Kim Bantao, that's that's the that's the guy, right? Like he hosts you know uh John Cassavetes you can afford because the uh, the real one had died. Um <laughs> Nick Mancuso. A couple of years earlier, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he looks like John Cassavetes. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I shit you not, like he looks like him. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> uh, so they, like, they have this sort of stick battle. Battle. It's just like, how you, how dare you disrespect me at my own house? I'm going to show you with a stick what I can do to other people. What a weird scene, right? Um, okay. But after that, you, you, you cut to... Uh, Brandon Lee on a like just entering some entering campus and he looks like an everyman right he doesn't have the sort of what he doesn't have is the um, like he doesn't look like he's just transplanted from an Austrian forest because he speaks with an American accent he um, he looks kind of like a you know like he could be named Chad and he would be just out just a way to do to a frat party or something like this. Like Does he, he just drive looks, in on his motorcycle. It seems to me he's sort of driving so. onto the scene. Yeah, he has this le- look, leather look, jacket, looking like, looking like Maverick. Exactly. So he has this sort of this sort of cool guy appeal about him, right? 
like he just he looks like a pretty boy almost like he's just the sort of mm-hmm. he has a sort of Tom Cruise thing about him or maybe like Mel Gibson is probably the best sort of yeah he has this sort of Mel Gibson swagger about him and then he also once once shit hits the fan and which is by the way the weirdest sort of thing ever because what happens is like he goes to a, he goes to an art class and he you know like if you put Schwarzenegger in this art class he would look like he doesn't belong right <laughs> Unless I'm he's painting, the model. painting this uh, live model. <laughs> just Jesus Christ, you know. But he looks like he could just okay. Well, he you could pull this off that he's he has this sort of Keanu Reeves, Mel Gibson sort of Johnny Depp energy that he could just he's just a, he's just a boy. But equally, they like this woman then asks him out. Weirdly enough, this a naked woman dresses up and then she goes like, "Do you want to go out with me?" Fine. I mean, by the way, just I have to say. The art that they're that they're drawing, by the way, everyone's just drawing these sort of really sort of rough sketches of what this woman looks like, and he had a full-on dragon in the background. Yeah, so he must have been sketching like mad. <laughs> he had everything, he had everything shaded and colored, and like, this was awesome. I was like, how long did it take him? And he just like, and also I just think to myself, I made a note to myself, like. He then gives her the the, the the sketch and he's like, here, take it. Like, don't you have to be marked on this? <laughs> like, what is going on? Uh, okay. And you know, and it's all shaded and it looks like it's you know, like it like it's like hundreds of hours spent on this on, on this sketch anyway. So it makes no sense. Again, it's like a South Park episode. It's like showdown in a little Tokyo. It's just like just a little bit of self-parody, right? Um <laughs> But they go to this meeting in a, what I thought was an art gallery, and then it turns out this is sort of like the meeting of free China because it's 1991, so just two years before there's the um, nothing really happened massacre, happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> As the Chinese would like you to believe, right? And then he goes to there, and then he witnesses this murder in there, and then he immediately he's like Jason Bourne, like he's uh, yeah again he could be. There Jason Bourne in in Bourne Identity instead of Matt Damon yep. at at age forty he'd be fine. Good take. He'd probably yeah. kick ass and he probably wouldn't have to train much for it. And fun fact again, Matt Damon was trained by Dan Inosanto <laughs> for Jason oh, Bourne. Nice. See. <laughs> so so the martial arts you see in Bourne Identity, Bourne Ultimatum, and Supremacy, and in even Jeremy Renner also was trained by him. So in all Bourne movies, that's Jeet Kundo at least in in good part apparently yeah so there's that so but th- so he kind of s- has this switch and you just th- realize oh he's okay so he's not just an art student who draws dragons just off the cuff he also is a killing machine how did you take that <laughs> <laughs> it's it's late 80s early 90s action i thought you know i thought that was great um because what sells me on it is that these scenes are really effective you know like th- these are these are pr- these are pretty cool scenes so when you've got this destruction in this yeah i thought it was a warehouse or an art gallery but it, then again so many buildings in the late 80s and early 90s felt like you know abandoned like, like a space of some sort <laughs> yeah uh so you know th- this is some some great stuff uh so and and he witnesses uh, a, a murder. Nick Mancuso kills someone, and uh, that's sort of a big deal. So uh, now uh, Brandon Lee has witnessed this uh, drug dealer who everyone's trying to take down commit a murder. So that's where the, the cops later on uh, 
really get excited because they've got a witness to a murder. And then this guy they've been trying to get for 10, 15 years now through Brandon Lee, they feel they, they can get him anyway. Um, but Brandon Lee has to get out of this, uh, this situation, I guess, because, and I don't a hundred percent know who, what exactly is happening, but anyway, this there's, there's gunfire. I think these, who, yeah. What is going on here? doesn't even oh. matter. It's fun. No, I think it, hold on. There's this middleman, right? There's this which guy, is this Chang guy, yeah, Chang guy, yeah. Uh, which which is an actor. He's um, you know, like that guy, sort of. You know, <laughs> what's he, what he called? Um, Michael Po Chan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's him. I've I, like you've seen him in so many things. Oh, totally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, feels like, like in, a lot of the actors in here are sort of like that. Yeah, because you've yeah. seen him in like Joshua Tree. Uh, he right. was in Babylon Five. He wasn't in Insider, actually. He was in what? He Sorry. was in the Insider. Okay, oh, really? Michael Mann film. I think he was um, uh, Al Pacino's like right hand man. Okay, and he was in Spy Game. Cool. Yeah. So he's in. Yeah. So yeah, he's one of those actors, and and so too is uh, Chi Ma. Yeah. So at, at any rate, um, Chi Ma's it's Chi's Chi Ma's men who is it they who start the fight? No, no, it's Nick Mancuso. So no, Nick Mancuso is bringing this guy over because he has this sort of middleman who he gives him a knife, right? He's like, oh yeah, well, yeah. and then Nick Mancuso. So uh, what's his name? Serrano again, named Serrano, after yeah. Chile, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just because, Man- right? Mancuso is the so, best in here. I gotta say. So, so he visits him at this office, and he knows there's a party going on. So they go to this office, and then they decide to kill him with a shotgun, right? So I, even if Brandon Lee's character wasn't there, I think someone else would be there because. I think you can't kill someone with a shotgun without making a whole lot of noise. I think they very, blow a, a hole in the wall, and this is true. how and and this is how Brandon Lee sees them through that, a hole in the wall that they blew with yeah. a shotgun. <laughs> that's, then all hell breaks loose. And, yeah, yes, that okay. That's that's it. Because yeah, there's 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 a, a network of uh, criminal doing here that uh, my understanding of sort of comes and goes but it doesn't matter like this this here is uh uh like you said earlier this is uh, this is the wrong man this is brandon lee uh you know finding himself in a predicament and then he he has people pursuing him and has to you know escape for his life but he's not just running he is uh you know fighting his way out of out of this scene and some of these sequences are great the way he just kicks through a railing on steps like it's this is really fun oh, action fantastic so, yeah, no, there's some really good sequences in in, in here, uh, just even within this uh, within this location within this set. Um, so yeah, no, I I really like I really like this. I forget how we started onto this topic, but anyway, maybe we're just uh, I think plot points. Just I don't know why, but then but you know because no, I, th- I think it's just I think we started with this sort of idea that he's he's this sort of unassuming sort of college frat boy. Who's also like right. the Manchurian candidate? Like he has this, he's this sub switch. Like he's like Activate. Jason Bourne who forgot that he had, he is like, he is essentially Jason Bourne in this film. If you think about it, he's this guy who has this ability that he that you don't really know that he has until he 
he has to defend himself and you all of a sudden like he is he is a black belt in karate right uh, yeah and who also like throws knives shoots guns and he's a student he's an i mean he's an exchange student from china right <laughs> <laughs> or something right no you know he's not an exchange student or maybe he is because his, his parents died in Tiananmen. That's that, that's a big flashback you see in the beginning, that's, right? That's the conceit. And his dad was a, a leader of the Free China Movement in Beijing. I think that's how the story goes. Because when Brandon Lee um, is sort of taken into custody to explain himself, and then they're sort of going through what, what happened that evening, they've got a whole file on him. And it's talking about his martial arts training. And it's talking about his background. And it's talking about his dad's politics. Um so yeah, and he, he was he's in one bed of with the guys. CIA as well, right? His dad was embedded with the CIA. I think there's something, yeah, like trained someone in martial arts. I don't know, some something, something to that effect. Yeah, it, it's something probably so that when people come nitpicking, the uh, the screenwriters can probably say, "Well, yeah, no, we addressed that. Yeah, no, we addressed that." But the, the address it just slap a plaster on it, just like. How does he know all these martial arts? Plaster, just slap. There it yeah. is. Like plugging holes with a band-aid, just slap. That's it. Yep. <laughs> it's just in this this police officer's file. It says that he has this training. That's all exactly. we need. Done. Like yep. it's, in the, it's in the script, okay? We didn't just... <laughs> yeah. We thought of everything. <laughs> we didn't conjure this out of thin air. Like it's it's in his backstory, okay? Like we gave him a backstory. We thought about this for more than half a second, you know? <laughs> Maybe that was one <laughs> of... Uh, Paul Atanasio's rewrites because he he did some uncredited yes. rewrites. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that, I, mean, I think a, bun- a bunch of people went through this script. I don't know because this script had been around Hollywood for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I I think what was the I think Dwight Little I think he initially he want he wanted to make this movie with Steven Seagal. Uh, and then apparently the reason one of the reasons this movie kind of came out the way it did. Um, no, because he with he's like one comment I read was like filming with Seagal because he's a black belt in Aikido, and now he's just uh, you know certifiably obese and potentially mentally deranged. I don't know, uh, so you don't know. He bows to people for no reason, uh, <laughs> so it's a bit odd to look at him. I don't know, but he's oh he's a black belt in Aikido, and then they apparently they mentioned this because Aikido is such a. Um, non-energetic style of fighting that they had to kind of re- re- had to rely on police procedural procedurals to kind of just elements to kind of get Steven Seagal movies to kind of work because he has these like <laughs> out for justice or yeah. act for death or above the law they're kind of like he he's just this guy who's a police officer who also just flails his arms very effectively right yeah basically <laughs> But you can, you, but you couldn't just uh, orchestrate a whole set piece around him doing stuff because all he does, he's just like throwing people's knives out of their hands. That's all he does, right? Yeah. Just like done, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, like there's no, you know, panache in in Seagal's sort of early '90s, late '80s stuff. And here, this guy just jumps through railings. He comes back on a motorcycle to the same building for no reason. Mm-hmm. Other than to drive a guy through a glass cabinet, yeah, brilliant in slow motion, yeah, which is just epic, <laughs> just, just awesome, yeah. <laughs> but then he he kind of showcases this, like you can see that there's like he the, he kind of embraces this sort of the stunt mentality, and then 
the martial arts training kind of takes takes the four like he's no longer shunning this like he it's almost like like it, he's in his head he's saying like okay fine dad you win yeah and, and and to me i see a lot of jackie chan uh in in this like that's sort of where i see a lot of this because there's some martial arts um there's some martial arts sequences and there's athleticism everywhere there's these kickups which i find just delightful to watch because there's like five I, or six of them right <laughs> i used to actively try to uh do kickups and i did a couple successfully but man they're hard they're really did hard you? i've never oh, yeah. succeeded in doing one it's yeah. always I, I would always topple over again just on my back it never happened I, I would do it successfully and you also i would also have to do it with like like with your hands in the back as well just yeah, do totally. it it and he doesn't yeah use that like he has this core muscles that are like i don't know this woman then licks them yeah <laughs> later on in the film it's yeah. gonna make an appearance we'll, let's put it that yeah, way. We'll <laughs> yes campbell watched this with me and he's like what is this <laughs> What is she doing? She is yeah. really horny for this man. Uh, yeah, but and the music so, so, in there just oh yeah, that's, that's gonna make an appearance. Let's hell, let's let's get to it now if you want. Sure. <laughs> is there anything in the narrative between then and the uh, now and then? Um, yeah, there's this whole there's this whole um, a lot FBI of the being corrupt. There. There's the big set piece when he breaks out of the uh, safe house because they put them put him in witness protection and they, uh, they, they they kill one of the agents and then there's this whole ten minutes in the kitchen where right, he's so just the, kicking he, a guy through in the nose through the door <laughs> twice. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's Jackie Chan, but it's it's also I I love your take earlier. It's you know it's the Bourne movies. It's totally it's yeah. it's like martial arts with whatever appliances and household objects you have right at hand. Uh, it's great. That's a great set piece too. Actually, it's uh, it's 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 interesting because we're going to be talking about another film later where someone is uh, being sort of overseen and taken care of by agents because they have to uh, protect him so he can have his day in court to testify. <laughs> so we've got another film where we're talking Spoiler about for it. next month, boys and girls. Yeah, totally. Uh, but at any rate, you forgot uh, what it is. <laughs> yeah, we won't say here. Uh, so that was interesting because these two films that I'm watching is like, oh gosh, this is going to be the, <laughs> it's the same plot like, point in a way. But anyway, this turns into a little bit more attractive now. <laughs> But this is a this is a fantastic set piece where you know these agents turn bad and they're trying to kill Brandon Lee uh, in this apartment or wherever they are this Airbnb and uh, you know we've got doors that are being used as weapons and we're uh, using fridge uh, freezer doors as weapons. It's great. Mm -hmm. It's great. So this it's is great another stuff. great moment. Yeah, and he uses like these knives coming out of it's essentially Jason Bourne sort of slash. I like it. I like the Jackie Chan yeah. uh, take, by the way. Really, really like it. Especially because I think Jackie Chan is kind of like slightly ahead of him, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the 80s, I think, and 70s, I think. 70s would be in his Hong Kong days, right? But then yep. Jackie Chan is again the sort of the, um, the 1980s import of athlete turned actor, right? Because he's really good at kicking, really good mm -hmm. at punching. Because he's a professional at it. And he has also a very thick accent. Like really thick. Yeah. Like. 
Yeah, like, like, like half of the fun of watching any Jackie Chan film is if the uh, filmmakers had any foresight to include outtakes at the end. Yes. It's just the best, right? Because half of them is because he did something wrong or he hurt himself, but the other half is that he doesn't, he could not possibly produce a line in, in a way that you could understand what he said, right? <laughs> right? So that's kind of, that was kind of his allure that he was just this guy who you just have to just like do 100 takes and he would do the kick and then spinning roundhouse perfectly and then you would just fuck the line where he says freeze police okay <laughs> or something like that yeah right? true so imagine him now jackie chan on one end of the spectrum and on the other you have keanu reeves on as as john wick and in the between is this sort of this middle ground this venn overlap of someone who is actually already a trained athlete but he also is an actor at the same time, he's not an actor you have to train. He's not an athlete you have to teach how to act. He's both. I, he's I the, like the take that he's halfway between Jackie Chan and uh, Jason Bourne. He is, yes, he is. But yeah. like in terms of like, as a like, um, like let's just say his skill set as an actor, right? Mm-hmm. You could say that J- Matt Damon had to be taught how, how to kick and punch, right? Mm-hmm. By the same guys who who learned how to kick and punch from Bruce Lee himself, just to, just to put it in perspective, right? But Jackie Chan was a guy who learned elsewhere how to kick and punch. He was a professional, a world-class professional at this, and they had to teach him how to look at the camera, hit his marks, <laughs> and, then, and produce a line in English in a way that you could understand without subtitling it, okay? True. And he also learned under Bruce Lee, because he's an And he also learned under Bruce Lee, which is <laughs> yeah. even better, right? But he's kind of like, for me, Jackie Chan isn't on the same shelf as like your Arnold's and Jean-Claude Van Damme's. These guys that you just have to just go like, cut, take 27. Can you, Jean-Claude, can you please say refrigerator correctly? Okay. Just, this is the type of problems they would have on set with these guys, right? Right. Meanwhile, this guy has, he can do a kick up. He can, he can do, he can do a roundhouse kick. And he can also deliver a line with comedic yeah. timing of young Mel Gibson. Yeah. He has he has it all. And I'm just thinking like this is why he like this could be potent the reason this is a springboard to his eventual potential career, potential career, right? Is because he doesn't have to share with anyone. He's just yeah. like he's just there. He's just having fun. And it just so happens that this is a B movie that you know like this is not a James Cameron vehicle, right? <laughs> so yeah so that's kind of yeah i think I, yeah no i think that's right and you can see from so here he he does everything it's it's brandon lee he sticks the landing and it's only going to get better from here at this point in his career like you can see you know it's only up from here what's he going to do um yeah because he he does have you see that he has the charm you see that he has charisma and there you know we saw that in you know the last three films uh, that we've talked about um but but here is just he's a little bit more mature he's because it's all him right like he's selling the melodrama and you, you see that he's capable of this and more like i i think that here you can see that um he's he's got great potential what about his father's sort of shadow as well like do you think he actually stepped out of it or he embraced that he he would always have it he would I mean, maybe not necessarily that he would live in his father's shadow, but he would have to incorporate that this sort of this legacy into his own persona. Do you think it's there, or do you do you think he's just completely stepped outside of it? 
it's it's interesting as we look at you know this this man who um you know such such an interesting life and his dad such an interesting man it's really hard to put myself in that type of psychology and and what we're doing here we're just looking at it through you know the, the lens of his career but i imagine it was a mm-hmm. very complex set of uh, emotions that he had as he was trying to sort himself out in his teens and early 20s and and make the decision to you know uh, get into acting and get into tv and film uh you know must have been just sort of really interesting to know what his his thoughts were i i like i think that he intentionally like he he seemed to have the interest in uh i really want to be an actor and and that's where he's sort of applying his craft but i see opportunities go to him because you know he's he's wealthy probably lives in hollywood and of who his dad is these opportunities are available to brandon lee in a way that aren't afforded to you know the the average joe and and he acknowledged that and in interviews that i've seen he's you know that's I, I can't deny like i had certain opportunities because of you know who my dad was and just the privilege that i grew up in but i i think that it was the acting that was more interesting to him and always ever was um and i think in terms of his accepting who his dad was um, it was probably a personal journey for a while. And what he wanted to make a point of doing was saying, no, I, I want to do these films as, and if they're going to be action films, I want to do these action films, not as martial arts films. And, and he probably had op- other opportunities. Hey, why don't, why don't you come do the martial arts film? He probably had these types of opportunities and said, no, uh, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm getting that feeling because he didn't want to be pigeonholed that way. And uh, so in Legacy of Rage, I, I feel there's a lot of pushback there. He does a little bit of martial arts, I think, in the scene with Bolo Young, but mostly it's it's gunplay. Um, mm-hmm. So and I think by the time he gets here in Rapid Fire, I think that he has a sense, okay, I can do this and you know I've got some experience and I think I know who I am. Or I think I know what I'm comfortable doing. I think I know how I fit into the the industry. Um, I think he has a strong sense of of self here, um, and I think that he embraces the uh, you know the the martial arts in a way where he's doing he's doing his thing too, right? So he is doing a melodramatic scene, and he's doing you know love scenes, and he's doing like he's he's being a star. He's living the dream. You know he's he's turning into that guy. And who he is as a martial artist is part of that, but it's not all of it, you know, like in his training in here in terms of landing uh, comic lines and, you know, delivering, uh, uh, you know, delivering the melodrama, working off of other actors. That's that's all here as well. I think that he's sort of accepting who he is, but I think it's all about the acting. I think he's okay Mm -hmm. with doing martial arts at this point, whereas a few movies earlier, I don't think he was. I think he's trying to stay away from that. Yeah, I, mean, I think you're right. Especially, with, I'm so happy you still mentioned the Apollo Young sort of moment because this is he, he. This is not the same guy who goes out to to Hong Kong to make Legacy of Rage, almost in spite of his 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 father's mm-hmm. sort of legacy the, to avoid pigeonholing, because he he possibly had an in to Hollywood based on the cloud of his father's and just just his surname alone would probably get him through the door and he would probably do whatever he, i mean he did he did do a kung fu film right mm-hmm. before he departed for 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 hong kong and then it kind of looks like 
almost everybody around him knew that knew something that he didn't already. As in, like you, like you're meant to embrace this. Like you need to you need to grow into this, but you kind of need to do this. And then you have the Bolo Young moment, which I I, I want to believe this was orchestrated by Ronnie Yu and Bolo Young. Just like, can you can we have this little sort of moment between these two? And then, can you please deliver this line for me? What do you mean he won? Like he, I had my ass handed to me. Right, this this is. This, this is the kind of moment. And in this film, you have Michael Paul Chan greeting in the Soviet art gallery. And this is something I really wrote down. I paid attention to it. He greets Brandon Lee's character. It's like, because he gets introduced to him. It's like, oh, I have this guy and he's our sponsor, Mr. Chang, right? And he mm-hmm. goes like, oh, I heard a lot about you. I'm a great admirer of your father's. Makes sense in context of the character, mm-hmm. but you could almost see this as in like, he speaks to the actor in a way. Yeah. And there are these, there are these mentions of the father and without the context of uh, who Brandon Lee is and who Bruce Lee is, um, it's sort of in my mind, disposable backstory, disposable content, you know, his, who his father is. But I think this is written in, it feels like it's written in, in a way that Brandon Lee can at once embrace his dad's legacy as part of who he is in the industry um, but also push back on it and say okay I'm my own man as well like it's it's written in here in a way that it's so to learn that uh, Brandon Lee was uh, involved with sort of developing this project as its star and was working closely at times with the with the writer on rewrites Mm -hmm. and you know final drafts and this type of thing makes total sense and I wonder if these pieces are in here in a way for uh, Brandon Lee to acknowledge where he is in his life and also where he is uh, in the, in the industry and why. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's complex. Like, you know, just there's a lot going on here. As I said, with, with the psychology of this man, there's, there's got to be just, you know, the way he lost his dad and and everything else. Um, But I can't help. That's how I see this. I see this, that this is, this script has all this subplot and uh, backstory with the father um, as a piece for Brandon Lee, personally, in a way. That's that's how I, I totally see it. I couldn't agree more. But wait, there's more. And this is where you shit your pants, okay? Because... <laughs> This is the this is the you know like watch your step kids daddy that Papa Jacob's gonna drop some knowledge. <laughs> and, I'm gonna drop bite. a take. I'm gonna drop a take right now. Remember that time when I was when we were talking about John Woo films and I just promised myself I would write essays that I would never that that they're still on my to do list that I never did about how these yep. movies were kind of functioning on a meta level for me in a very weird way. Yep. Yep. My spidey sense is finding one of these in here. <laughs> I'm looking at this and this is... Okay, you have to hear me out because this is... I'm totally reading into this. This is totally probably not on the page. No one ever thought about this because this is... This is just me being weird. Okay? But just hear me out. Hear me out and tell me I'm stupid. Okay? This whole film is a metaphor for Brandon Lee... Uh, being being assimilated into Hollywood. Look, here's this guy. Here's this son of a great man, right? He's a son of a great man 
who's trying to make it his own way in America. He doesn't want to have anything to do with free China, do whatever. Like he doesn't like he like he gets accosted by the guy like free China. He says no, no, I I'd, I'd rather go and just do whatever. Like I don't want to have anything to do. With. This is I the want equivalent. to draw naked models with and dragons. dragons in the background. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and dragons. <laughs> so my dream too. Again, a metaphor for the fact that he didn't want to pursue martial arts. He wanted to pursue acting. He wants he's an art major. Okay? <laughs> he wants to pursue the arts, yeah. It's, he's yeah. an arts major who's also a black belt in something, because he, if you shoot a shotgun through a wall, he he gets the sort of the Jason Bourne switch and he just and starts murdering people with rolled up newspapers, okay? <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Right? So, okay, just hear me out. Just hear me. So, he's a son of a great man, a great Chinese, uh, of, not official, but a great Chinese hero, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who's in America, doesn't want to have anything to do with whatever his dad was into because there's this trauma involved because he lost him again. Mm-hmm. And then he finds himself, imp- he, he just finds himself implicated in something. And then he gets used by, uh, by forces beyond his control, by powers both, uh, and by police, by the feds who then set him up, and because right. they're all corrupt. The feds and the corrupt feds, this is Hollywood, baby. These are the Joel Silvers. These are the, uh, you know, the bigwig producers. Like, you know, these are the Harvey Weinsteins. And, you know, like the guys with money who don't care about you. They All, all they want to do is use you and then make money on you. Like... Mm-hmm. Um, this is not libel, by the way. Like, please, no one sue me. This is just I'm 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 being playful in here. Like, these are these big, uh, these are the Frank Marshalls, the you know, Kathleen Kennedys. These are big producers who just they're see the CEOs and they are yeah. the CEOs. Yeah. They're they're yeah. the big wigs, right? And Powers Booth is the guy, the Robert Lawrence guy. Here's the producer who, who sees something in this guy. Like, I, I, like I, he still has his own agenda, but he still has a heart, and he st- sees that he could he could use him in and get. He could use him just as, uh, 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 just as, he, as just as well as he could help him. So mm-hmm. Brandon Lee then gets incorporated into this Hollywood machine, which is the big uh, intrigue of the film of trying to get at the sort of the heroin smuggling business and get Nick Mancuso's character and then Seema's character and whatever, right? Yeah. However, at the end of it, who came? Who comes out on top? The young scrawny little kid who turns out he that he had this he had something in him and he ends up he ends up ends up a hero against all odds so here's and and then he comes into his own and he uses the and he, and he actually comes into his own things on the back of his char, charisma combined with his with his athleticism to me this is a perfect metaphor for exactly the trajectory of of, of brandon lee's this is the springboard almost encapsulated in the film am i am i being crazy you know what <laughs> I think that I think that's fantastic and I would further that part of it is is intentionally there through the inclusion of the father character and uh, you know I I think to a point it's it's sort of written that way um mm-hmm. yeah so no I I like this take quite a bit and I think because of the partnership between uh who's our who's our writer here our writer is McElroy. Alan McElroy. Alan B. McElroy. Um, 
yeah, I, I think that uh, his kinship and his partnership to a point on rewrites with Brandon Lee in the development of this project um, probably leads to what what you're saying as, as somewhat of an intentional intentional take. Like the whole the whole story now, just yeah. like I'm watching this, I clued into like you clue into the sort of the father son angle immediately, but then you connect yeah. the dots and you see, okay, these feds are are basically these corrupt bloodthirsty studios so all they want is money they want their own sort of advancement of their own agendas and whatever and this guy's just trapped he's this wrong man he's this sort of kid who's just stepped into a wrong house at the wrong time but he's he's taking them all down baby this whole and then Sima is Hong Kong cinema trying to infiltrate Hollywood (laughs) just saying (laughs) yeah (laughs) just saying yeah, like, here's the sort of a Far Eastern influence just feeding into into American pop culture by way of heroin. <laughs> I mean, this is <laughs> yeah. this is becoming and very Chima. uncomfortable very yeah. quickly. But you know, <laughs> but I kind of just like I, yeah, like I'm looking at this stuff. I can build. I am watching this and I'm building this metaphor in my head, and I'm just saying like, what is Paris Booth in this? Like, it makes sense, and I, everything starts making sense to me. Like, this is actually functional. <laughs> this is a functional allegory now. <laughs> Even though I don't yeah, think well, even uh, you know. there's this there's this weird subplot in a way that uh, Powers Booth is you know, almost becoming a new father figure. But um, in your analogy here, Powers Booth is seeing and appreciating uh, this young guy for who he is, right? Mm-hmm. So he's yeah, he's he he likes this guy for who he is and appreciates that. You know he's he's a star unto himself and is capable, so is admiring him as such. Mm-hmm. And then he also kind of uh, saves uh, Ryan at the end as well. So he's the sort of he's the in this analogy he's the he's a producer who's kind of just because he's a detective. He's he's a guy who stakes out at a bowling alley, which by the way is just the yeah. weirdest sort of intro. I'm just like, is Chicago Police Department so underfunded? Did they have to rent out a bowling alley? Or no, this is a stakeout, but no one tells you this. <laughs> yeah, a bowling alley where the, the alley doesn't reset the pins, too, I'll say. I know, right? <laughs> and then, you know, and then have this stupid scene where Powers Booth shoots at a pin. <laughs> Just, <laughs> that's, the, that's awesome. Just why? <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> yeah, but so he's... Because the pins in, aren't in the, going to reset unless that last pin falls. Exactly, he's and been... now they won't reset because he's because the pin's gone. <laughs> well, he was frustrated. <laughs> it's the same, you know. But in this analogy, he's the detective. He's the sort of the low-ranking film producer who sees something in this young guy, and he sees like, okay, if if I, I allow these guys to do what they always do, we're gonna ruin potentially something potentially great. He sees something in him, right? That you know, just they just kind of he latches onto him like they he see like they they kind of just get some kind of chemistry together, right? Yeah. That he decides to randomly save his life. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Like there's this sort yeah. of he he, he has, like I don't want to say it's it's his sponsor, but he's like this sort of he has this sort of um, mentor. That's the word I wanted to. It's not a sponsor. Champion too, <laughs> in a way. Yes. Yeah. So he's this sort of mentor to him. Like the, he's like in, in, a guy who will just. Uh, have his back in 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 Hollywood. He will just allow him to just make his way the way he wants to do it, while fleshing out the best side of him without 
and while shielding him from the corruption of what he knows the studio filmmaking involves. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is fantastic. And I'm just hoping like this is actually intentionally written in because it it, it cannot be a coincidence. Like I know I have a habit of like reading into shit. <laughs> But this is there. Like I, 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 I think I this like, is here. <laughs> I think it's here. In, you know, I think it's here in, intentionally, at, at least in part. You know, be, because um, I think that Brandon Lee probably led a number of conversations about his thoughts on the project and his career, and you know whether it, intentional or just through absorbing all these conversations. Uh, McElroy probably comes up with. Pe- comes out with these pieces um in here that sort of fit this analogy so yeah. now you shit your pants by the way kate hodge in this which is the uh detect is it detective detective yeah, withers yep what is she she's the audience <laughs> she's uh, the audience who doesn't know how to take him it's a little bit of uh, i don't know what he is like i don't trust him he tried to he tried to do something to me you know and then that when the time is right and the uh, candles are lit, she licks his belly button, okay? <laughs> to the tune of, I think it's Guns N' Roses or Frank Stallone. I don't know. It's, <laughs> Please yeah, tell me it's Guns like N' Roses. <laughs> like, this is, like, it needs, like, a Frank Stallone sort of, there's no easy way. Like, like a song that would that would blatantly describe what's happening on the screen. This is per- and all I could think of is if you've mentioned that about other '80s moments, and that's this is this song. <laughs> Can't yes. find my way. <laughs> I mean, just well, if you can't find your way, well, well, you need to, you know. <laughs> God, Trim I think that's that the song. <laughs> yeah. So yes, yeah, so sh- sure, sh- sure. She's the audience. Or... I'm fucking coming. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Episode one thirteen. <laughs> Forever changed. <laughs> I only uh, have two now. But next week there's gonna be more. <laughs> no, but like that's the sort of because they have this sort of sex scene which is like straight out of Desperado. <laughs> just mm. I can't it's just Jesus Christ. And then they have candles, so you can see Brandon's bare ass, and it's all juxtaposed with the death of a Sarai. montage of people the- being being whacked in prison. And a Chinese with, guy with wearing throwing a knives police, in disguise, yeah. and then the guy, the, the guy with the sort of the, the the weirdly sort of stereotypical looking beard. Like there's another that guy. Like there's a guy who's like a character actor in like any kung fu film you could imagine. Absolutely, Al Leong. Like, Al Leong. Yeah, he's him. the subject of a he's the subject of a documentary called Henchman, uh, sort of following his career, which makes total sense. Like he's in a ton of stuff. Yeah, he is. He is. He is the sort of the quintessential sort of yakuza slash triad henchman. Like when you have like like yep. if I, if I said like like the um the cartels and gangs in like the LA set films would have a guy called Hector. I don't know if you've like if, if I don't know if you have a face already popping up in your head. No, 
Um, there's this actor who always plays a character named Hector. And he's bald and he has this soft thin moustache and he always wears baggy jeans and a flannel shirt and a wife beater underneath. <laughs> no? I'm not. No, I'm not drawing the... Who, oh, what's okay. the actor's name? Do you know? Uh, Norbert Guglielmi. Got it. No, yeah. Also known as Noel G. I just googled always Hector and I got Noel Always G. Hector, yeah. yes. That's him. <laughs> and then... And if you look at his, if you look at his Wikipedia page, uh, so it's always, oh, hold on, roll. Angel, street thug, Mexican mafia soldier, Johnny, gang leader, Hector, Moreno, Lan- yeah. Latino convict, inti- inmate, inmate one, student one, snuffy, hood, joker, Latino hug again, Capone, yeah. Bartog, Manuel, chicken, Robert, Paco, Flaco, Noel, Santos, Glow, Diablo, Fat Cap, Caesar, Dusty. <laughs> Big Lucky, Angel, Big Dino, G-Man, Mechanic, Leo, Vinny, Chino, Chino, Cholo, Random, <laughs> Can. <Yeah, ran. laughs> switch over to uh, Al Leong. His, uh, his filmography, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> He's, she's having a baby. That's weird. Action yeah, Jackson, Die Hard, They Live. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He's Genghis Khan. Black Rain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so Big Trouble in Little he China. He looks like he stepped out Death of like, Big Trouble in Little China as one of the sort of henchmen in uh, in this sort of yeah. the, the, uh, the guy, the guy's sort of Blair, I don't know. So so that, so that guy, so that's all juxtaposed with all these scenes and it's like totally ridiculous. And this is where, by the way, this is where I have a problem with this movie because this is where the energy drops to the floor. This is exactly where forever. I wondered if you would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I'm forgiving of it. I'm having a pretty good time along the way here. So I'm, I'm forgiving of these sort of uh, weird uh, downbeats that, that we have here. I agree with you. I can't defend it. It's, you know, it's just sort of this weird lull and repositioning of the characters before we get to the final set pieces. And uh, uh, yeah, but I, you know what? I am sort of all about Ali Young showing up in a you know, a police <laughs> outfit with a hat that doesn't seem to fit. And, and he's got yes. the Fu Manchu, the Fu yes. Manchu <laughs> mustache yes. and beard. And yes. then like he, he kills the cop that's there guarding the cell. And then, you know, what's, what means is he going to use to dispose of uh, Nick Mancuso? Oh, well, well, throwing stars, of course, through the prison And a syringe full of heroin. It's just great. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm okay great. with the, the craziness of this. So, uh, yeah, I'm totally forgiving of this. But I acknowledge, yeah, this is goofy as hell. And it's so oh, weird yeah. that it's it's sort of juxtaposed with, you know, intercut <laughs> with with this. What's this? What's this silly rock ballad called? Can't Find My Way, I think is what it's called. Uh, and this love scene, you know, this soft lit love scene of close ups of just, asses and what abs. The, what's the worst? I mean, can't find my way. Like, the, it's just like the eighties. Like, need to come to an end. Like, if you know what I mean. Like, wink, wink, kids, don't listen. Right? <laughs> can't find my way. And I'm just thinking, like, what's the better song to set it to? Welcome to the jungle. <laughs> 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 it was a hairy decade, okay? Oh man. <laughs> Gracious. Oh Jesus. Oh my goodness. No, just just have just being playful. <laughs> no, but then in this uh, to back to my analogy for just a second. So 
detective with her. She's the audience, so she sees how how he can kick ass, and he also can like throw a smile and then just like take a one liner and just send it right to her. And then eventually, she just finds herself de- delivering a line to him, saying, "I have something you, you can put your hands on." <laughs> it's in the film. I'm not saying yeah. it, I'm not making this up. So she's the audience. Eventually, she's the audience falling in love with Brandon Lee to the point of licking his belly button, okay, and then probably sticking a finger up his bum as well, because there's there's this bare ass going in there, and th- 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 you know can't find my way, <laughs> and just that's how <laughs> massage that prostate. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that your uh, analogy sort of feels good too. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting into reaching here, but at the same Turn time, I'm fucking coming. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. it's a bit of a reach, but <laughs> it is a bit of a reach, especially a bit, of a, that, bit of a reach around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the analogy's good, you know, give or take the the love scene and bringing uh, Kate Hodge into it, but you know, but. But still, again, yeah, I, I agree. There's a there's a lull here, but you have to realign everyone just to position them to, you know, plan their assault. You know, because there's this weird moment in here where uh, Powers Booth, you know, he's okay. He's sort of saying, okay, well, this is this is our plan, and then Kate Hodge is going through the plan, and I don't know where they got the diorama with action figures and Hot Wheels on the table, but they're showing uh, Brandon Lee, who in- interestingly is a civilian that they want to put in harm's way. Just sort of a bizarre... Because uh, it's bizarre. the 80s, baby. No, it's the 90s. It's it's one and the same. Well, it probably has to happen in order for the analogy to work. So I'm even more okay with it than I was. Exactly. Uh, they have to put him in harm's way. And they nearly right. get him killed. So, but, you know, they've got this play set with <clears throat> Hot Wheels and uh, little action figures with guns showing where everyone's going to be, which I found hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> but then That's for me, all. it's actually t- it takes so much time that at this point I'm just struggling to stay awake, and then it picks up for exactly ten minutes before the credits roll, like for the oh, final confrontation. That- yeah, I hear you. I don't find it's that long. Um, it's know. not that long, but it feels like forever. Mm. Yeah, I, again, I was fine with, and and we have Al Leong here showing up in a police outfit <laughs> with. <laughs> no, that's the after most, that- the most facial. But no, that's no, during that's, the that's montage, the right? Scene. Yeah, that's during the love scene. And after that, when you know, like Powers Booth shows up at the house, and Brandon Lee's just hiding away, like you know. Uh, oh, so your lull does not include the love scene. No, the it's love scene of a- is kind of where I'm just, what is happening? What is going on? So I'm just dumbfounded and confused and perplexed. That's what I am. <laughs> yeah, and then from there, I'm just trying to kind of shake it off. And then forget I saw it, and then it takes, and then all of a sudden I'm just like, okay, I think I, I think we're done here. Like, like the the, uh, the big drug lord's dead. Like, what's happening? But then they they stage this again, a master of disguise sequence, laser mission. Hello, they give him a bandana and a pair of glasses, and then he has to infiltrate a place, a laundry, I think, a laundromat of some description. I don't know what this is, and then yeah, it's. Just- it's where they slowly the just in. turns into a like Bowers Booth ends up uh, kidnapped or just caught with together with um, uh, detective detective Withers. L- detective lick your belly button you know like that woman um, Withers exactly <laughs> that's her name 
and then from and then just Brandon Lee then just uh, arrives at the scene exactly like Dolph Lundgren starts the showdown in Little Tokyo film, right? Just catapults in. Basically. Uh, only and this is guys. when the film kind of picks up exactly for 10 minutes just to dispose of, dispose of everyone and we're done. Yep. And it's a, so it's kind of a feel great like, ending yeah. too. It's like it's a fun ending. It is a fun ending, but then what yeah. happens before it, it kind of just like knocks me out mm-hmm. of balance and then I'm just like, okay. It feels like, and then it, it almost feels like they kind of engineered it to kind of take, guys, you know, like one last hurrah, we need to just make it happen. Okay, so like, here's a set. He's dead. And then you know, and then let's put Brandon Lee in, in an outfit so he looks like Clark Kent in a bandana. Yeah, what I find weird about it too is, and uh, uh, it's just sort of an oddity in the script because our, our opening scene is sort of the the two baddies. You've got uh, Antonio Serrano, that's Mancuso, and you have Chi Ma, mm-hmm. and um, so this sets up Kinmantau. Um, sorry, yeah, this this sets up a, a, a rift. And when Nick Mancuso, you know, uh, dies, you know, during the love scene, uh, yep. during the cutaways from the navel licking, um, then it it it's sort of a <laughs> weird conclusion, gazing, right? <laughs> because because I think Nick Mancuso is a really good villain in here, so it's sort of weird that he's dispatched this way, and then the film sort of. Uh, dangles here I, I like chi ma as well but um it, it is sort of weird tonally is like well who's the antagonist oh they're both antagonists they're not equals they're sort of fighting one another in a way um and brandon lee was sucked into this because of the whole uh mancuso thing uh because of, he witnessed serrano so there is an oddness in in here for for sure um that okay we've dispatched with one big bad guy but we still have to get the other yeah i I agree that it's it's like a false bottom right yeah yeah it's 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 odd that you have another bad guy to go to because we're following brandon lee we're on his shoulder um as soon as he shows up now mind you there was this preamble with the the two drug leaders before yeah Uh, but i'm but i'm not invested in them because it's it's certainly not you know equal screen time between brandon lee and the these bad guys they're just sort of another element that have to be there for this to ge- this this hour and a half to generate action scenes um so so it's weird though the way that you know one guy's dispatched and then we're just expected to sort of care about the other guy there's an oddness here but i again like i say i'm, I'm sort of forgiving of it because i'm enjoying the ride yeah so i don't know how, how do you feel about how the movie ends by the way with the sort of the final set piece on the train tracks Oh, I think that's great. I think it's uh, you. You can tell what's gonna go, what's gonna happen here. It's 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 projected fairly goes. early on. Yeah, <laughs> pretty early on in the sequence, you sort of know more or less how this is gonna play out. But it, it's great. It's fun. It's mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's spectacular. It's it's nicely shot too. Like it's uh, it's it's shot at night or in a really big closed set, one or the other. And it, you know, it it looks it looks good. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm 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 pretty cool with this train train track fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like we've uh, we've kind of arrived, right? Kind of like the train. Um, I mean, so I didn't kind of ask you what you feel about Fort Powers Booth, by the way, but because I think like we're, I think I'm ready to, uh, you know, to close the proceedings a little bit. But I think we kind of just need to give a bit of a shout out to our, our buddy Powers Booth. What do you think about what he did? 
Uh, Powers Booth has been great, I think, in everything I've seen. It's interesting and fun to see him here as a good guy. I don't, yes. e- I don't easily uh, grab to mind, you know, a, a film where he was, you know, straight up, you know, good. <laughs> you know, Red I'm Dawn. Sure yeah. Okay. Okay. I haven't seen that recently. So. He he was the because um, you know like it's like these kids kind of like hiding out in the mountains, and he's a mm-hmm. uh, and he is a U.S. Air Force pilot shot down by by the Ruskies. Okay. Uh, who helps them kind of organize themselves. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I just, I envision the guy as, you know, he's, he's usually up to no good and it's sort of neat to see him in, in this mode. So yeah, no, I, yeah. I liked Powers Booth. What, did you have any thoughts on his performance? Oh no, I really like him. Same yeah. reason as well, because it's, it, it's nice to kind of see him in a role that's not, uh, like a henchman or or a baddie, right? Right. Because he, he, he has a face that kind of lends itself to a villainous roles. But, you know. True, yeah. So, um, yeah, so he, he turns nice into a grizzled cop. A, yeah, he turns into an effective uh, character actor, too. And both he and uh, and Raymond Barry, who's Agent Frank in this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, dirty, that dirty cop, uh, they both go on to do sudden death together. The pleasure doing business with your guy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Uh, so yeah, they they like a couple of years later are working with Van Dam on a on a project. What did he do with Van Dam? Oh, sudden, uh, sudden death. death. Su- sudden death. Yeah. And they're both yeah. in that. Yeah. And in yeah. that, yeah. Uh, Ray Barry in that one is, I think he might be the the vice president, or he's the good guy at any rate. Here it's sort of reversed. Yeah. Although, yeah, it, and this whole intrigue with this, like them kind of just going to the guy's house, listening to a phone conversation while talking while just like I don't believe in covering the microphone and just expecting no one's going to hear what's going to happen, right? Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Uh, I mean, well, just the bodies in an Italian restaurant that just eat spaghetti meatballs because that's what uh, you know, I suppose B movies would expect you to eat. I don't know. It's a bit ridiculous, no? And watching anyway. soap operas, yeah, oh yeah, it's totally, <laughs> totally ridiculous. Like I don't know if this if this came out before or after Goodfellas, but it kind of looks like a Me Too Goodfellas scene, no? Yeah, it's right after, see. right? It's ninety two. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of spent uh, on 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 rapid fire. So maybe I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I've got nothing um, more. So final words. What's your final words? What's your take? Yeah, I, I liked this when I saw it years ago. It just felt like a good, fun action film. Really happy to return to it. Same, it is a good, fun action film. Um, you know, it is definitely from the you know the the late eighties, early nineties uh, type of action film model. I'm totally okay with that. But in our deliberations on uh, Brandon Lee. Uh, rapid fire to me is the film where where he lands he arrives he's showing that he's he's sort of got it all in a way and uh, it's not quite as confidently evident in his his earlier films as it is here and uh you know i really liked watching this and uh yeah i'm turning into a really solid brandon lee fan yeah so would you actually imagine had he i mean this is probably a conversation for next week but just to just Mm -hmm. to pre pre presage Presage, presage, presage. I think it's either presage. <laughs> presage is what I know. Presage. 
how about <laughs> so uh, to presage the conversation for, for for the crow is would you imagine him like based on this performance like fast forward a few years and imagine him in speed or yeah so maybe there is something to it because I, I kind of have seen based on showdown a little talking i kind of have seen them seen him he, he has this sort of comedic chops about him uh, oh and by the way we didn't mention like they were developing a sequel for it uh, they were, were they for rapid about, fire yes okay. um, although yeah. I, I think no they it's a bit of a longer story because they were what at the same time fox acquired the uh, script for the film called simon says yes. by jonathan yeah. hensley yeah and that turned into die hard 3 but for a while, they were rewriting this into a rapid fire sequel. Uh, okay, and then the for a while, it? Brandon Lee was attached to star in 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 whatever Die Hard Three became. No, whatever okay. this be, before this turned into Die Hard Three, this he would have been what, the star of whatever Simon says would this, become. Yes, that's kind of what I mean. Okay. Sorry, my foreigner moments shining through. I'm sorry. No, we're good. <sighs> that's just. It's just what it is. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that's that's more of your everyman action film, right? That's more of your uh, action film with a gimmick. And you know, how does this play to a mainstream audience? Like, you know, his his career is growing here. Like that that project makes sense as as much as The Crow did, in a way. You know, going back to that era makes total sense to me. Would Would you imagine this this whatever Simon says evolves into actually him and him? leaning into martial arts or not or if you actually see him in speed and then he actually leans into martial arts or if the Wachowskis hire him to become Neo and they don't necessarily need to train him to do that kind of work and then eventually he becomes John Wick and then he just (laughs) he's almost like he's himself coming out of retirement if you know what I mean, because I think he would have more of a more of an agency to be John Wick than Keanu Reeves, if you know what I mean, with the history well, of action filmmaking in his youth. Maybe if uh, Brandon Lee had survived, Keanu Reeves ends up doing only period pieces because that's the mode he was in in 1992. <laughs> yeah, know? he was like an indie. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. In in, in a way, yeah. Keanu Reeves liaisons and uh, Bram Stoker's yeah. Dracula. Maybe that's who he is. No, they would coexist. Kind of thing, like you have like you have two Ryans, right? Like you have Ryan Gosling, Ryan Reynolds. I think they would be kind of coexisting, you know. <laughs> in an alternate universe. Okay. Yeah. yeah everywhere. But but I go as everywhere as a, all as at a, once we are. Oh Jesus, don't. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I, I didn't answer your question. You know, I, I see Brandon Lee. Not ne- because he's involved, not necessarily doing martial arts. He doesn't necessarily bring that with him. He doesn't really do much for martial arts in the crow, as I recall. We can he does come a kick back up. to this. Uh, the, the, that could be his, but that's just an elite fitness that's his, thing that's in his my thing. mind. <laughs> yeah, that's and his that's thing. his thing. Uh, so I see him doing what the script allows. I see him as being actively looking at okay. How does my role, if I'm going to be a star, what's my next project going to be? Is that a good fit for what audiences are looking for? Is martial arts part of it? Yes, great. No, also great. I, I, 
I think that he's he's uh, he's he's going off in directions with or without martial arts. Like I, I think that and rapid fire allows him to do that. Yeah, fair enough. Makes sense. I mean, I kind of feel sim- similar about this. I'm happy that rapid fire exists in the way it does, even though far I'm far from liking it the way I like now think about showdown in Little Tokyo <laughs> or things like this. <laughs> It's way less playful than I think the other one is. Although its playfulness comes from the sort of... I think it's it's more of an intellectual sort of analysis for me than it is as like visceral enjoyment. Like I like there are elements of this movie that I really enjoy, like the the set pieces with people getting hit in the face by doors or uh, or just him going full on Jason Bourne meets Jackie Chan. Uh, these these are very interesting moments, but then overall, it's it's it is a solid B movie, and that's kind of where it, where it's at. And then had it not been for what happened in 1993, this would have been kind of like a B curiosity in the guy's career mm-hmm. more than anything else, right? But I kind of see it the stri- springboard kind of a bit more clearly thanks to my own sort of stupid way of co- concocting analogies that don't exist. <laughs> uh, May or may not turn into an essay. I can't promise anything because the last time I promised one, I never rewrote anything. But this time I'm kind of on a writing kick, so I might as well actually write something. (laughs) So there's that. (sighs) Top threes? Let's do our top threes. How about that? Top threes. I'll keep this simple. Number three, Nick Mancuso has his moments in here. I think he's a semi-inspired villain or at least doing everything he can to sort of stand out. This is the whole business of how he's written too is a bit of sort of an interesting uh, bit of business mm-hmm. in my mind. You know, this big baddie who's looking to take over everything because he's fallen on hard times. <laughs> like he's not this, like he's the cock of the walk type of uh, bad guy, but you know, he's, mm-hmm. how do they describe him? He's got no power. He's, you know, all of his uh, enforcers are in prison and he's got no muscle and he's got no money. Uh, like so it's interesting that he's you know turning into this sort of uh, big big bad guy with his chest puffed out and uh, anyway so that's fine but anyway where I want to go with this I love his Santa Claus moment where he's talking about uh, someone said how did you get in here uh, oh uh, like Santa Claus came down the chimney ho 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 <laughs> I just think it's the best just the best weirdest delivery like anyway love that ho 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 (laughs) awesome um i love powers booth shooting the bowling pin i think it's just great you know it just sort of makes me chuckle makes me smile i'm not really sure why those bowling pins never read uh set themselves because he threw a number of balls at this one single pin that won't fall and uh you know it should have reset itself either with a reset button or with uh, after two or three uh, gutters. But anyway, didn't happen. Um, and in terms of like the action in here, I find all the the action is top shelf. But uh, I'm going to go with uh, the scene where um, he's supposed to be uh, being protected so that he can testify against Mancuso. And then these guys sort of turn bad and uh, it turns into the whole Airbnb uh, you know, chase and shootout, and the the door and fridge door end up being used in the way that uh, Jason Bourne or Jackie Chan would use them. So the yep. betray the witness apartment scene, number one, just great, great moment. Yeah, awesome. 
good selection. So I've got oh, ho, ho. Uh, I've got a split. I'll say this a split shout out. I mean, okay, special shout out to the to the idea of just being able to draw a full full fully functional dragon uh, <laughs> on the side of a naked woman. And during uh, what I can only imagine like, is, is a 60-minute session because I couldn't imagine the live uh, subject would sit there for, you know, still for much longer than that. Um, so there's that. And then, like, my number three is a slash because it's kind of the legacy. I really like the touch of, uh, why, why don't you take those fists of fury of yours and go outside? Right. Uh and then meanwhile, with with uh, Michael Paul Chang going like, I, I, I'm admire, I'm an admirer of your father's. I kind of like this sort of the meta connection. This is the sort of the um, um, the code lock for me to kind of unlock this movie on a meta level. Is are these moments, and then you can kind of see how this this whole film kind of just fits. Um, so I like those. And uh, Brandon Lee coming back on a motorbike. For whatever reason, I don't care, but he comes back to the art gallery and he drives through a glass cabinet in slow motion, yeah. John Woo style. Yeah, love it. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Just love it. I, spe- I mean, I talked to, to no end about these sort of the martial arts moments, you know, like in the kitchen, in the Airbnb, and then um, in the final set piece, and then elsewhere. It's all great. But like, this is a moment where you just think to yourself, wow, this is something. And in the final, it's just, it made me giggle a little bit. The final baddie electrocutes himself on a train track. He doesn't get hit by a train and he electrocutes himself and then he gets hit by a train. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It was just, I was just like, oh, he didn't get hit by a train. Yikes. Psych. No, he actually did. There you go. But this will be the moment where... in. If it, this was directed by the Wachowskis, Brandon Lee would, would do a kick-up and then he would just kick up in slow motion right onto the platform like Neo da, da, does in The Matrix. Right. Which, I, I don't know. If you squint, you can m- maybe believe that maybe this the scene in The Matrix kind of maybe rips off this movie a little bit. Or, But then this is where Jack goes like, Jakub, no! <laughs> <laughs> No, Yakub, no. <laughs> anyway, so it's my tops. How about your bottoms? All right. Okay. Um, I have a mini ugly. Not really mm-hmm. mini ugly, but just something I thought I'd mention here. So in one of the shootouts, uh, Brandon Lee runs into, well, I guess they're in an alley, but he runs for cover, and it's the, it's the weirdest choice, though I guess it's all that's there. He seeks cover behind cardboard boxes not necessarily yep. the and they can't find him there they shoot at, at cardboard boxes and he's fine i know with shotguns too which i would yeah. think so it's it's not just sort of you know one one bullet on a on a path but anyway so there's that um so agent frank so at, at one point he's driving and his parallel parking he drives he drives directly into a parallel parking spot and he just sort of leaves it crooked he doesn't really make an effort like a to dickwad. Yeah, to- it's firstly you see people you know, like it's... this. You want to tell them something, right? Oh, totally. So you, you shouldn't drive into a parallel parking spot anyway. Uh, but at any rate, he does, and he just leaves the car crooked. It sort of bothered me. Um, and we mentioned this one, number this is, two. This is such an uncondemned complaint, by the way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
I know, I know. Uh, so the love scene, the rock ballad, Can't Find My Way, or whatever it's called, cut with Serrano's murder. It's just such a silly juxtaposition. It's just so weird. Uh, and number one, the, the whole subplot, although your analogy helps me quite a bit with it, um, but still the whole subplot business of Booth being a father figure to Brandon Lee is just sort of weird. And Booth has this moment in the midst of it. Oh, I don't, I don't think I can tell him, you know, tell, tell him what, what are we getting at that? You love him? What's going on? It's like, just, uh, no. And then Brandon Lee at the end, you don't have to say it. I know. It's just, what, what, what are we watching? This is ridiculous. Does it still have like this homoerotic energy, like showdown in Little Tokyo? You have the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. As opposed to what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, this this film and no, it wasn't wasn't ruined by uh, you know this the studio cutting it apart and the hatchet job. So this is probably close to how Dwight Little wanted it to look. I'll say that. How do you know? Maybe he turned in like the two and a half hour cut of this. I I don't, but this feels more complete with an intermission in the in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> so those oh, are mine okay so I've got Power is both growling when he gets shot because then th- there's this sort of shootout happening and he just e- ejects himself through a glass plate glass window which is always a good choice and then he gets shot and he goes like rawr, rawr, rawr. oh <laughs> can we uh, like this was this is where if I was Dwight Little I would say like cut uh can we do it again? Just, you know. A little less. Less, little in, less. less intensity. Just, <laughs> can you suffer in silence? How about that? You know? Just saying. So that's one. Nick Mancuso biting his glove. Just, ah, I don't know why. I, I thought he was going to be just t- taking off his glove. No, he just bit his finger. Like when he's during the um, scene where uh, Agent Frank goes like, pleasure doing business with you. Pleasure oh, I didn't doing even business. catch that. And he just... <laughs> That's its own it, awkward moment. Yeah. This whole moment is like... It's like this whole glove moment is just a stand-in for this whole moment being just weird. And the final. You mentioned this. We all mentioned this. The needle drop before the kiss is brutal. And then the heroin... Cut to heroin shipment. Cut to... Se- just Agent <laughs> Withers licking the guy's navel. And then just admiring his abs. Great abs. But, you know... Um, and then cut to a guy being strangled in prison. Cut to Brandon Lee's bare ass in profile. Good ass. Still. Unwarranted. And then just another guy being just just spiked with just shurikens <laughs> and strangled. And, and this by, is somehow... Um, by a guy in a cop outfit who has the most <laughs> and strangliest and weirdest facial hair that you'll ever see in a cop. Yes. Because it's not a all cop. set to the song. <laughs> set to the song, which I think is called "Can't Find My Way." Can't find my way. <laughs> Available on Spotify or wherever you get your music, <laughs> right? With that, rapid fire. If you live in America, you can watch it on Stars. If you don't live in America, you shit out of luck, because. <laughs> I think you can rent. Or maybe in Canada you can rent it. I think. I think. Oh, you, oh, you have sure. a DVD. It's weirdly inaccessible in the UK. 
Hmm, so you kind of have to, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's available on DVD and may or may not involve a 25-mile drive from where I live to get one. Yeah, um, it's not streaming so, anywhere in Canada. So it's, in America, you're you're okay. Everywhere else, you kind of have to rely on physical media. Um, so there's that. I think we've done it. Where can we find you, Randy? You can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows. You can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7. And you can find me on clapperltd.co.uk. And you can find you can find me on the internet uh, taking bits of people's movie reviews and feeding it to an AI content uh, detector and finding out how a lot of letterbox reviews could have been written by a robot probably a bit better. <laughs> I, I've seen... Never mind. Uh, there are some few people we know uh, who scored 3% on <laughs> this has been totally not written by a human. <laughs> <laughs> Consistently. Uh, so, that was fun. Um, anyway, but you can find me at Talk About Film on Twitter, Jakob Flash on Letterboxd, FlashOnFilm.com, Clapper as well. And they can also follow the show at Uncut Gems Pod everywhere. Uh, go to our website uncutgemspodcast.com to browse our extra ep- all our episodes and then subscribe to our Patreon and help us pay for Zencaster Professional yeah. cheer by uh, subscribing with three bucks a month and then you in exchange for your donations you will get access to extra podcasts about cool movies and this month came out Game of Death Aaron Brockovich and then next Wednesday A Child is Waiting as a part of our John Cassavetes Marathon so with that we are almost there with our Brandon Lee Marathon because next week we'll be talking about the man's final feature, The Crow. So stay tuned for that because I I can't wait for this. Mm. I even bought the graphic novel for this because I've never read it and I'm about oh, to read cool. it. Or do you read a graphic novel or do you just look at it? I think you read it. You read it. <laughs> Unless I'm you told. refuse to read what's in the what's in the <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. So Next week, we're talking about The Crow. And in the meantime, you just have a nice day. Mm-hmm.